Well, good morning, Christ Central. It really is a privilege and a joy to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, to be with you again, I was here two years ago, in April of 2019, I believe it was, when you were in a different location. So it is a delight uh, to be back to bring God's Word uh, to you this morning. And before we read the sermon passage from the Gospel of Luke, I want to tell you that you've, you've already heard the sermon. Uh, in God's providence, I didn't give a sermon title, but you've already heard the so sermon in the song that we sung. When we sang to uh, the Lord, you thought I was to die for, so I could be free, so I could be whole, so I could tell everyone I know. Uh, sermon title for this morning is Come, See, and Be Free. Come, See, and Be Free. Would you stand with me as you're able as we hear God's Word? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. And it reads this way. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you be seated as we pray? Lord, thank you for your word that is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, 
discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We are all in this place, Lord, naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And this is good news, Lord, because this means that you know precisely what we stand in need of. So would you take these efforts of mine, weak and unworthy though they may be, and use them to meet us where we are and give us what we need. Faith, hope, joy, love, patience, peace, correction, conviction, whatever it might be, that we will be people who live for the glory and fame of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen and amen. For, uh, for about 11 years, um, in addition to serving the local church that we had planted in Maryland, I also served uh, as an associate chaplain for a, a local jail ministry in our detention center. And every month, our church would, um, would do one of the worship services at the detention center. We would alternate months. One month, we'd do the service for the men. The next month, we'd do the service for uh, the women. And whenever we did the, the men's service, one thing was certain. And it was that the men would want to sing the hymn, Amazing Grace, uh, at the end of the service. It didn't matter um, uh, what I was preaching. It didn't matter whether we had someone there to play the piano or we had to sing it a cappella. They, they wanted to sing that song, and we were going to sing it. It was like those brothers were looking forward all week to the opportunity to sing Amazing Grace together. And the sense of joy uh, was palpable when we sang those lines, I once was lost, but, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And singing that line and knowing it to be true was like the, the experience of the blind man that the gospel tells us about in the gospel of John chapter 9, who was blind from birth and, and has an encounter with, with Jesus and and, and Jesus heals him of his blindness. And, and Jesus' opponents didn't like the fact that uh, he had healed the man. And they didn't like the fact that he had healed him on the Sabbath day. And so trying to discredit uh, Jesus, they say to the man in, in John chapter 9, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And I love the man's answer to, uh, to them. He said, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that I, though I was blind, now I see. And to sing Amazing Grace is to wonder and marvel at the fact that God has done the impossible. He's given sight to the blind, and he does it by the power of his Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who opens blind eyes, and when he opens our eyes, it is for this purpose so that we would be able to see Jesus clearly. When Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure in John chapter 15, he told them that he was going to send them the Spirit of truth. 
Jesus says, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he's always been about the business of bearing witness, of testifying about Jesus. He wants us to come and see Jesus. But what those incarcerated brothers and our church members were rejoicing in as we sang this, that song is that he also wants us to be free. And one of the things I love about this passage we're looking at this morning is how Luke demonstrates just how much God the Holy Spirit was all over Jesus' ministry from the very beginning. Jesus is still a very young child in the text that we're looking at. And when the angel Gabriel speaks to Zechariah about his wife Elizabeth giving birth to a son in Luke chapter 1, he tells him that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Gabriel the angel comes to Mary later on in Luke chapter 1 and tells her she's going to have a child and when she asks how is this going to be since I am a virgin, he says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And when Mary goes to see Elizabeth during her pregnancy, Elizabeth is filled, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist is born, his father Zechariah, the Bible says, is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies. And then we get to this text this morning and what we found out is not only did the Holy Spirit prepare the way for Jesus, not only did the Holy Spirit cause Jesus to be born, but he also calls us to come and see and enables us to, to gaze upon Jesus, the Savior. He permeates this text, revealing the truth to Simeon, leading him into the temple, opening his eyes to see the truth. Simeon is filled with joy. He's filled with praise. He's filled with peace because the Spirit has brought him to an encounter with Jesus. And yes, the Spirit is doing the same thing for this elderly widow, Anna. She's a prophetess, and you don't get that gifting and ability without the Holy Spirit. The whole narrative... The, the whole gospel of Luke, in fact, the whole Bible is about Jesus. But it's so important for us to see what God does with, for, and through other people as he points us toward Jesus Christ. So we're going to see what Simeon and Anna saw and by some measure pray that by God's grace, the Holy Spirit would be at work in us as well, removing our doubts, removing the cloudiness, removing any fog so that we see Jesus with clarity. So we look at the Holy Spirit's call to come and see Jesus. May we find joy in the liberation that he brings. Liberation not just for ourselves, but for the entire world. And so I want to work through these, this passage with, with four points to, to move through. I want to talk about a particular care, a particular confirmation, a particular consequence and a particular comfort. A particular care, confirmation, consequence, and comfort. 
particular care, Joseph and Mary are a devout Jewish couple. Jesus has been born, and they are careful to do with their son what is written in the law. Three times in verses 22 to 24, we are told that they are now doing, what they are now doing is in accordance with the law. In Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, the law says that after a woman gives birth to a male child, she shall be unclean for seven days, and then on the eighth day, the boy shall be circumcised. And so the days of her purification were completed, so they're bringing the child Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord, to redeem him with an offering of a pair of turtle doves or or two young pigeons because The Lord says in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, of both man and beast, is mine. And the Lord says in Exodus 13 verses 12 and 13, You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Every firstborn man among your sons you shall redeem. And that's all they're expecting to do. They don't have a clue as to what is about to happen. In fact, Luke tells us down in verse number 33 that after this unexpected encounter with Simeon, Joseph and Mary marveled at what Simeon said about Jesus. Little did they know as they made their way up to Jerusalem, going into the temple, that there was this man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. This man was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is, he was someone who lived in the hope that God's promise to bring the Messiah would come to pass. And where did this hope that Simeon had, where did it come from? Not only where did this hope come from or spring from, but but how could he live in this hope? We don't have to guess at the answer because it's right here in the passage. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him. God, the Holy Spirit, was upon this man. In fact, the the word order that Luke uses in the text at the end of verse 25 in in the Greek text is kind of strange. The way he says the Holy Spirit was upon him is structured in such a way as to make the Spirit's work even more emphatic. And so not only was the Holy Spirit upon him, it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then for the third time in three verses, Luke talks about the Holy Spirit. He says that Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple. It is by the Spirit that Simeon comes into the temple. It seems like Luke cannot talk about the Holy Spirit enough. It is the Holy Spirit who is telling Simeon to come and see Come and see the Christ. Come and see the Messiah. Come and see the consolation of Israel. Come and see the one who is bringing comfort and encouragement and redemption to the people of God. Come and see Jesus, Simeon. 
It's like the Holy Spirit is saying to him, I've been sustaining you all of this time as you have waited for the fulfillment of God's promise. Well, wait no more, Simeon. Come and see him. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Listen, what we cannot let pass as we read through these verses is the Holy Spirit's particular care for this man, Simeon. Simeon's words became scripture, but not only did Simeon's words become scripture, his story became scripture. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he was particularly concerned to show this man Jesus, not just so that he could write a beautiful hymn of praise, but so that we could know that's what the Holy Spirit does. His coming into the temple by the Spirit lets us know that God is responsible for this meeting. God is the one who brought about the the meeting. God is always responsible for our meeting Jesus. None of us, none of us in here is likely, well, not likely, I know it's for a fact, none of us in here is going to write or say anything that becomes Scripture. But the Holy Spirit is still calling people to come and see Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who identified Jesus for Simeon, and it's the Holy Spirit who identifies Jesus for us, and he loves to do it. He is particularly concerned and he particularly cares about opening blind eyes to the truth of who Jesus is. I can say unequivocally without any question to every one of us in here that God the Holy Spirit has a particular care that you see Jesus and that you see Jesus for who he is. And there's a particular nuance in this particular care to see Jesus as the consolation of Israel. It is the description of of comfort being given to those who are in darkness, who are in distress. Seeing Jesus clearly for who he is means the embodied experience of comfort in the middle of distress and darkness. Simeon enters the temple, and when he sees Jesus, he takes him up in his arms, and he says a blessing, a psalm of praise to God, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We don't know how old Simeon was or how long he had been waiting For the consolation of Israel, Luke doesn't consider that information significant enough to share with us. We mostly think of him as an old man because in the first line of the hymn, he says, Now you are releasing your servant to depart, meaning to die in peace. This is the way somebody who's older, who might be near death because of his age, would talk. What Luke finds more important to let us know 
than Simeon's age is what Simeon sees when he sees Jesus. To let us know what the Holy Spirit confirms for Simeon. Simeon says, I can die in peace, Lord, because my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples. There is no doubt, right, the cross hasn't come yet, but there's no doubt in Simeon's mind who Jesus is. He is the Lord's salvation. The Holy Spirit brings Simeon into the temple so that he can see the Lord's salvation. That is the point of his inviting us to come and see Jesus. It is first and foremost so that we can see the Lord's salvation. If the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see who Jesus for who he is, What will be confirmed for you is that he is the Savior. He is the Lord's salvation. And this is a big deal. (laughs) This is a big deal. Like it it might be kind of run-of-the-mill and ho-hum for us if you've been a Christian for a long time or if you have have been familiar with this passage for for a long time or, or even if you've never really taken the time to consider or reflect on who Jesus is. But this passage is a song of joy. It is not, it's not ho-hum for Simeon to say, I can die in peace. He is rejoicing and overflowing with praise to God. Why is he so full of joy? Listen, later on in the same gospel, we hear Jesus' own prayer of joy to the Father in Luke chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus' praise sounds like in Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 22. It says, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then immediately after that, in verses 23 and 24, Luke says that Jesus turned to the disciples, and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, Jesus said, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Blessed are the eyes who see what you see. Why? Because nobody can see Jesus for who he is unless it's revealed to you. No one can know who Jesus really is, the Lord's salvation, the Savior, unless the Holy Spirit removes the doubt, removes our ignorance, removes the misinformation, and brings clarity of vision. We are blind unless he makes us see. We might think Jesus is a good man. We we might think even that we're honoring God by considering Jesus to be a prophet. But if that's all we think, we're still blind to who he really is. 
unless we are confirmed that he is the one and only and necessary savior of the world, we are still blind. You understand why this is no ho-hum, run-of-the-mill encounter for Simeon? We get, right, do we get why he's so filled with joy and excitement and praise? And would you notice this with me? That even though Simeon says, now I can die in peace, his own comfort and his own delight are not at the center of his concerns. He's rejoicing in the fact that this particular care of the Holy Spirit to bring people to a particular confirmation that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, has a particular consequence. And what I mean is that, is that, by that is that it has a particular impact. What is that impact? In the last part of Simeon's hymn of praise, he rejoices that Jesus' coming was not just to be the Savior of the people of Israel. He is the Lord's salvation prepared in the presence of all the people. Simeon says he's a light of revelation for the nations and the light of the glory for Israel. Light comes. And the, so it means light has come. Revelation and glory are the result. Revelation and glory for the whole world. This light is for all people, not just any one particular group. For Simeon, listen, for Simeon, a devout Israelite, to make this declaration is huge. See, Israel's overriding concern was for the Messiah to come and to deliver them from oppression and bondage to Rome. The Messiah would be theirs, and they again would be on the top. But the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to declare that they had missed the point of the Scriptures. Isaiah chapter 19 had said a day was coming when Egypt and Assyria would worship the Lord, it says through the prophet Isaiah 19, verses 23 to 25, uh, the Lord says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. In chapter 49 of Isaiah, the Lord says that the Messiah will be a light for the nations. It says, the, the Lord says, he, the, 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 the anointed one says in Isaiah 49, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, and that Israel might be gathered for him to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit doesn't only open our eyes to see Jesus as the Lord's salvation or the Lord's salvation just for me. 
He opens our eyes to see Jesus for the nations. To see Jesus for every tribe and tongue and people right here in Durham, North Carolina. He opens our eyes to see salvation to the ends of the earth. It is too light a thing, the Lord said, that Jesus' salvation should only be about the tribes of Jacob or the people of Israel. The incarnation, Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, they scream to us, they scream to us that God has overcome all opposition to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Without the presence and the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, you know what? We could care less. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and fill us with his power so that we will live out the message and the mission of Jesus for the nations. And we need him not just because of our propensity for uh, spiritual lethargy, if you will, and indifference, but because the sign of Jesus for the nations is still opposed. (laughs) It's still an offensive sign when we talk about Jesus for the nations, regardless of ethnicity or culture or race or background, we are doing exactly what Simeon said that Jesus Christ would do. We are revealing the hostile thoughts of many hearts. That's the reference in verse 35 when Simeon says that Jesus is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts might be revealed. Those are hostile thoughts. The proclamation of Jesus for the nations helps some people come to faith in Jesus, but it also confirms other people in their unbelief. And that's why the last part and point is so vital. We need to hear from the second person, Anna, about a particular comfort. Anna's life is outside of the norm. First, she's a, she's a prophetess, it says. This puts her in the company of women like Miriam, Moses' sister, and, and, and Deborah, the judge, from, from Judges chapter 4, and, and Huldah, the, the prophetess who, who spoke the word of the Lord to King Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, uh, Luke tells us that Anna was married for seven years and then widowed. If we assume the norm that she was married as a teenage girl, then she was widowed in her early 20s, and we meet her at least at 84 years of age. So it's likely that she's been a widow for over six decades. And, and, and it looks as she's been worshiping and fasting and praying and never leaving the temple. This is hyperbole doesn't mean she lived in the temple. It means that that's where she regularly was. You could find her on a regular basis. What we are reading about is a woman who, as one commentator said, chose a lifetime of service to God over remarriage, an action that was highly regarded in first century religious community. 
and where Simeon testifies about Jesus, particularly to his parents, Anna's prophetic ministry now points Jesus to others. Did you catch that in the last verse? It says, coming up at that very hour. So she's coming up to the temple at that very hour that Jesus is being presented and that Simeon is there. It says, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem rather. Just like Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel, Anna knew that many were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And these are parallel phrases meant to bracket the the passage, redemption as the nuance of liberation to comfort. I said earlier that Jesus, seeing Jesus clearly for who he is, means the embodied experience of comfort in the middle of distress and darkness. Well, the particular comfort in the middle of darkness and distress is the comfort of knowing the Lord's freedom. It is a liberty that reorients our priorities. It is a liberty that shifts our priorities from our own world and our own concerns being the things that are at the top of our hearts and minds to the the kingdom of God. He says, come and see, turn your eyes upon Jesus and you'll never be the same. Once we've set our eyes on him, we'll know what it means to be free, and this is Anna's message. Not only that, we'll have an indiscriminate desire for that freedom to be experienced by others. Come and see and be free. The life of liberty, listen, this is it, this is the end, and end Pastor Tim in a Presbyterian sort of way, so it's really the end. The life of liberty, listen, the life of liberty in Jesus is not a life without hardship. That's not what it means. The life of liberty in Jesus is not a life that is absent of difficulty and pain. The life of liberty is not a life of ease. It is better than that. It is far better than that. Because the reality, here's the reality, is that hardship and difficulty and distress and pain and trials and suffering cannot be avoided whether you are a Christian or not. The life of liberty is a life of joy and peace in the middle of those things. It is a life of joy and peace and comfort in the middle of the difficulties and the trials and the suffering. How are we going to do what the scriptures tell us in places like Hebrews chapter 10 where the pastor says, you have need of endurance. How are we going to endure through the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs and the trials of life? We have need of the filling of the Holy Spirit the opening of our eyes for the life of liberty and the proclamation of Jesus for the nations. The free people are those who've been brought into that freedom 
by the Spirit of God who has opened our eyes so that we can see Jesus clearly for who he is and know the freedom that can only be obtained when we are brought in to life with him. May this be true of all of us, that we, we have seen, heard, responded to this call, come, see, and be free. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the liberty that is ours in Jesus. We thank you that you are the God who <laughs> gives sight to the blind, opens blind eyes so we can see you for who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with that joy and peace that comes from being free in you, that we would be able to proclaim your goodness, grace, and glory to the nations, that you might become known further and wider even in this place. We ask it in your name. Amen, amen, and amen.